Today we're going to start a brand new series that I've entitled Thrive. God tests before he bless. And we're going to take a look at a dynamic Bible character, Daniel, out of the book of Daniel. And what you're going to discover in this book is that God tested Daniel before he blessed Daniel. In the very beginning of the book, Daniel is a 15-year-old prisoner of war. And after 70 years of captivity, he is promoted time and time again until at the age of 85, he is the second most powerful man in the land. And I want to bring this book to our attention because I really believe in this year of faith that God doesn't want us just to survive in the culture that we live in, but rather he wants us to thrive. It seems today that the values that create a healthy culture are being turned upside down. Would you agree with that? Isaiah warned many years ago that a culture is headed for a collapse when it reverses the values that created that health. Isaiah 5 verse 20 says this, you are doomed if you call evil good and good evil. Destruction is certain when you call darkness light and light darkness. When right is considered wrong and what's wrong is considered right. When you claim that what is bitter is now sweet and what is sweet is now called bitter. That kind of a culture that begins to reverse what has made it healthy for years, Isaiah says is doomed. Now this happened 2,600 years ago to the nation of Israel. They fell into immorality and injustice and idolatry. And there were some prophets, some men who called this Israel out on these things. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Stephaniah, okay? And Daniel was one of those who heard the warnings. These guys said, you know what? If we don't get our act together... We're going to lose our freedom. And in 600 BC, the Babylonian Empire invaded Israel through King Nebuchadnezzar. And he destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And he took 25% of the population as POWs back to Babylon. And Daniel was one of those guys. And God kept his people in captivity for 70 years Folks, it was a disaster. There was another guy who said basically the same thing. Asaph, he is a songwriter. He wrote 12 of the Psalms in the book of Psalms. David isn't the only one who wrote Psalms. Solomon did, Moses did, and so did Asaph. And Asaph in Psalms 82 complains to God that the judges and the leaders are destroying the foundations of society. Take a look at this out of uh, Psalms 82. God stands up to open heaven's court. He pronounces judgment on the judges. How long will you judges refuse to listen to the evidence? How long will you shower special favors on the wicked? Give fair judgment to the poor man, the afflicted, the fatherless, the destitute. 
Rescue the poor and helpless from the grasp of evil men. But you are so foolish and so ignorant because you are in darkness. All the foundations of society are shaken to the core. Does that sound familiar? All the foundations of society are shaken to the core. It sounds like today, doesn't it? Our justice system is shaken to the core. Our educational system is shaken to the core. The institution of marriage is shaken to the core. Our economic system is shaken to the core. Our moral and ethical values are being challenged and shaken to the core. We live in a time of great upheaval. Now, I am not a doom and gloom pastor. I'm a personal, practical, and positive guide. I am here to build your faith. And I want you to know that God says this, that whatever tunnel of chaos that you go through in life, whether it's due to culture or some other crisis, God doesn't want you just to survive. He wants you to thrive. And he wants to test you and I, yes, but for the, I, for the, for the pu- purpose of not failing us, but promoting us. And today we're gonna take a look at how to thrive out of the book of Daniel. We're gonna look at Daniel's life who started off as a prisoner of war of, of 15 years of age and lived until at least 85 becoming second in command of an empire. He starts off as a prisoner of war, think about this, who will never see his parents again, who will never see his family again, who will never see his homeland again. And yet, in those kinds of conditions, folks, he thrives. This is how the book of Daniel starts in Daniel chapter one. During the third year of King Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah. Now let's stop there just for a second. Have you ever felt besieged before? Were all hell's breaking loose in your life? Maybe with your job or your marriage or your family? This is what's going on. You need to read the book of Daniel. And it says that God gave Nebuchadnezzar victory over Israel. And you may be sitting there, well, George, what? No, why is that? I mean, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't a, a, any godly type man. He wasn't a Jew. Why did he allow that? Well, I don't have time to go into that. But God often used pagan leaders to discipline his own kids. And you can see that throughout the Bible. It says that the Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. Nebuchadnezzar took them, that is those sacred objects, back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. What's going on here? Nebuchadnezzar's showing off. My God's better than your God. My God's better than yours. He's showing off here, okay? Then the king ordered Ashpenza, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning. 
are gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Notice that King Nebuchadnezzar is using the same three values of our culture. Beauty, brains, and brawn. If you're not pretty and you're not smart and you're not athletic, guess what? You're nothing. That is the, that is the world's value system. And Nebuchadnezzar is saying, I want the best of the best based on the world's value system. And so then he puts these guys in a three-year indoctrination uh, system. Here's what it says. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years and then they would enter the royal service. They are going to be indoctrinated in all of Babylonian ways. He is going to indoctrinate them in, uh, from the, the culture of Babylon even to what they eat. And then it says that they gave them Babylonian names. And we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks. Daniel was called Belshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. What is going on with these things? They are systematically reprogramming these Jewish teenagers. They are destroying the foundation of their life. They are replacing Jewish values with pagan values. Even to the point of renaming them to further separate them from their parents, to further separate them from their families, to further separate them from their religious upbringing. In essence, they are saying to them, you are no longer going to be who you think you are who God has said you are. You're gonna be who we say you are. And Daniel is a 15-year-old. And though his foundation is being shaken, folks, he thrives. He keeps his integrity. He is promoted five times in the book of Daniel. He outlasts two cultures and three different emperors. He leads two of those emperors to faith in God. This guy is amazing. And then when he's in his retirement years, he doesn't retire, he re-enlists. Because the emperor asks him, hey, I need you to come back to do this. And he becomes second in command. Folks, this book is about how to thrive when chaos is breaking out in our culture or in our life through some crisis. How do you do this? Today we're gonna look at three things. Three things for us as adults, and I want you to take good notes for your kids because the questions I'm gonna be giving you for ourselves, you can give to your kids. They will have crises in their life. How you address them can make the difference of whether they grow from it and get promoted or whether they fall back. The first thing is this, don't be surprised by adversity. 
Although the collapse of Israel 2,600 years ago was a shock, it wasn't unexpected. Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Zephaniah said, hey guys, if we don't get our act together, guess what? We're gonna lose our freedom. And Daniel was a teenager at that time and he heard this. Now the New Testament speaks about this. Take a look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, don't be shocked or, or surprised when you suffer through painful tests and trials as if something strange is happening to you. He's saying when negative change happens, realize that you live in a broken world. Heaven is perfect, but the world that we live in is broken. It is broken by sin. Our culture is broken. Our government is broken. Relationships are broken. Families are broken. Our minds and our bodies are broken. And so when the brokenness of our world slaps us up against the face, we shouldn't be asking, why me? We should be saying, why not me? Now Jesus said this in, in John 16, In this world you will experience difficulties. But take heart, I've, I've conquered the world. I've told you this so that, that in trusting me, you will be unshakable and deeply at peace. Will you circle the word will? If Jesus said it, guess what? You can count on it. You are going to experience the brokenness of the world. But Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome the ultimate and you will thrive if you trust in me. So don't let adversity blow you away. Don't let it surprise you. Don't let it shock you. Don't let the chaos of cultural values cause you to cave in. Now oftentimes when we are experience the brokenness of this world, our first response is this, is try to figure out who to blame. That is the last thing you want to do. That's the last thing you want to do. Instead, you want to do something. You want, you want to work on it, okay? Because if you focus on who to blame, you're never going to fix the problem. To blame really is to be lame. And there are a group of our leaders in our world, politicians, that do not want to solve problems. They just want to blame everybody. And so instead of asking whose fault is it, it ought to be what should we do? Now with that being understood, we do need to understand the source of, the, of our problems. And there are four. The first one is myself. Folks, I am my biggest problem. I cause myself more pain than anyone else has in my life. That is why I am looking forward to getting to heaven because all of my flops, failures, and fumbles are gonna be gone, right? And so I won't have to hang out with me. <laughs> That's so good, okay? And by the way, um, it, if you don't like me now, you will in heaven. That's all I gotta say. And um, guess what? If I don't like you, I'm gonna like you and love you a lot more in heaven too. too. It's true for all of us, okay? The first source of our problems is our old nature. The second source of our problem is the world. Your nature is within you. The world is around you. And what the world wants to do is to pull you down, dooby-doo, down, down. How do they do that? By ridiculing you. 
by withholding praise about your lifestyle. Why? Because they know that oftentimes we will cave into it. Instead of standing up, we will cave in because we want people's approval. We want them to like us. We don't want their ridicule. And so the world is a source and you and I don't need the world's approval to be happy. You and I can be as happy as we choose to be. The third source is the devil. The devil is alive and well on planet Earth. He is real. The moment you wake up in the morning, guess what? He's after you. He wants to defeat you. He wants to discourage you. He wants to distract you. He wants to create doubt within you. Oftentimes when we go through a crisis, what happens? We begin to doubt our beliefs and believe our doubts. That's just the opposite of what we should do. When you go through a crisis, you believe your beliefs and you doubt your doubts. And so my old nature is within The devil and the world is without. And then the fourth source, and this might shock you, is God. Some of the pressures and difficulties and problems actually come from God. Sometimes God shakes up your life for a good reason. And that is what I want to talk about. What are the good reasons? Regardless of what the problem or the source of the problem may be, what God wants you to do more than anything else, and we're going to see this out of Daniel's life, is that he wants you to trust him, that he'll turn that bad situation into good. Now, based on that, you come to the second step, and that is you look for ways that God might Use that chaotic situation, that crisis, the change of culture for good. He wants to use everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And if you want to succeed in life and you want to thrive in your faith, you need to be looking for ways that God might use it for good. Jeremiah 29 Verse 11, God says this, the plans that I have for you are plans for good and not to harm you. They are plans to give you hope and a future. The devil's plans is to destroy you, is to discourage you, is to defeat you. But God's plans are to give you hope and a future. Now, God did five things in Daniel's life with the chaos that he was going through, that he was living within. They are the same five things that God wants to do in you. These five things are kind of like an index of Daniel's life. Take good notes. Pass them on to your kids. The first one is this. When God turns your world upside down, he does so to inspect me. And what I mean by that is to reveal my motives, my character, my emotions. It is said oftentimes of people that they are like tea bags. You don't know what they're like on the inside until you dip them in a little bit of hot water, okay? 
And God oftentimes dips us in a little bit of hot water, not so that he knows what's on the inside of us, but that we might know what's on the inside of us. You remember the story of Adam and Eve in the garden after they blew it? What did God do? He asked him a question, right? Hey, where are you guys? Where are you guys? He didn't ask that because he didn't know. Folks, he knew where they were at. He asked that question so that they would know where they were at. And Adam responded and says, I was afraid and I felt guilty, so I hid. And that's what we like to do. And we've been doing it ever since. We like to hide. And so it's good to ask ourselves questions. God turns our world upside down to inspect us. Take a look. Jeremiah said this, and he was going through it. Jeremiah 17, 10. The Lord searches our hearts and examines our deepest motives so that he can give to each person his right reward according to how he has lived. Notice that God examines hearts. Will you write this down? Why is always more important than what? You can be doing something neutral, but it could either be right or wrong depending on why you're doing it. Have you ever thought why it took 40 years for the Hebrews to get to the promised land? Well, the Bible says that God was testing them so they would know what was on the inside of them. And every time they failed the test, guess what? Another lap around the desert. Another lap around the desert. Another lap around the desert. They're not going to get this. One day they're going to get this, okay? Take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 too. God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. Problems are measuring tools that measure our, our, our faith. So here's the question that you need to ask yourself and that you need to have your kids ask when they encounter a crisis. What does this problem reveal about me? What does this problem reveal about me? Now there's another thing. When your world gets turned upside down, God oftentimes does so to correct you. This is exactly what happened 2,600 years ago with the nation of Israel. They had fallen into idolatry. And so God came along and says, this is how I'm going to break you of that addiction. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow an enemy to come in and take you as captive for 70 years. And that's what happened. And it's interesting, when they came back 70 years later, there was no more idolatry in the land. In fact, there were seven good things that happened as a result of them going into captivity. Now, this verse out of Hebrews is very important. Look at this. God corrects all of his children. And if he doesn't correct you, then you don't really belong to him. God corrects us for our own good because he wants us to be holy as he is. It is never fun to be corrected. In fact, at the time, it is always painful. But if we learn to obey by being corrected, we will do right and live at peace. Did you benefit from the correction that you received when you were growing up? Absolutely you did. It's how you learned to, to walk and talk and read and write. If someone didn't care enough to correct you, you wouldn't 
know those kinds of things. A parent that doesn't correct their child doesn't love their child. Now, how many of us growing up or when when we had kids, or maybe you have kids now, enjoy disciplining your kids? Any? Anyone enjoy? Ah, I'm glad. I'm glad no one rose their hand because if you did, I was going to say, you are weird. I can remember my dad. This is hurting me, son, more than it's hurting you. And I thought, you're a liar. <laughs> you know? I can remember disciplining Aaron, our firstborn. He just turned 41. Cheryl's really getting old. <laughs> just kidding. I'll be disciplined when I get home. <laughs> I disciplined my kids when they were young. Why? Because I knew that if I didn't do it then, that it would be worse later. And so it's better to discipline early than it is later because oftentimes if it's done later, the price is always higher. Now why does God do this? This verse is another important one. The context of it is that God just gave the Ten Commandments to Moses and God is shouting from Mount Sinai. Take a look at Hebrews 12, 26 and 27. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he says, I will not only shake the earth, but the heavens too. By this he means that he will sift out everything. Will you circle that? Without a solid foundation so that only the unshakable things will be left. Sometimes God shakes up your life because he wants to get rid of man-made stuff. He wants to get rid of temporary stuff. He wants you to build your life on eternal things. And so God oftentimes shakes things up so that you know what you believe in and you're grounded in it. And when God does that, folks, consider that a blessing. Take a look at Job 5.17. Consider yourself fortunate when God all-powerful chooses to correct you. You see, it is a privilege, it is an honor to be corrected by God because it communicates, you know what, I love you and I want your life built on those things that cannot be moved so that you can be promoted. There were times when my kids were growing up that I would discipline for them for something that they did with some other boys and they would look at me and they would say, Dad, Johnny's dad didn't discipline him. And I would say, guess what? Johnny's dad don't, doesn't love him the way I love you. And you should consider it a privilege <laughs> that I love you the way I love you, okay? God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts at us in our pain. And oftentimes we only change when the, the, when the pain is greater than the fear we have of change. And so God introduces pain. He shakes things up to correct us. And the question you ask yourself is this. What is your problem 
teaching you. God uses problems to correct us, to inspect us, and then third, to direct us. He uses chaos in our culture. He uses a crisis in our life to point me in a new direction, to get me on a different path. Proverbs says that the man, the, the, the man's plans, man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his path. How does God establish a man's path? Well, one of the ways, real simple, is through problems. Have you noticed that when you have a problem that comes in your life, some crisis or whatever, you ask yourself, maybe verbally or at least to yourself, quietly, what is God doing? Have you ever asked yourself that? He is inspecting you. He is correcting you. He is redirecting you. You've heard me say this before. We like to think we'll change when we see the light, but oftentimes we don't change until we feel the heat. Proverbs 20, 30 says, sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. And I think every one of us here could probably share a story all around that verse right there. Aristotle said, we don't learn without pain. And God at times, introduces pain into our life because he's wanting to get our attention. You see, what we like to do is we like to cruise in life, don't we? It's the good life. And so what God will do is that he will introduce chaos or a crisis to get our attention to help us maybe consider things that we don't normally consider, which is oftentimes the direction of our life. There was a time in King David's life that his life was falling apart. And he wrote this, Psalms 119, 59. I have thought about my life and I have directed my feet back to your written instructions. Notice God directed him back to his word. Sometimes when life is so good and we're just driving and cruising, we're not making any goals. We're not considering God. We're not thinking about how to do ministry. We're not thinking about how to, how to reach people for Christ. We're just cruising down the road. And then bam, it happens. And all of a sudden, we're hungry for God's word. David is saying, I'm gonna let God's word from now on be that tool that sets the direction of my life. So the question you ask is this, where is your problem or problems leading you? Problems never leave you where they find you. They either will move you further away from God or they will move you closer to God. A crisis or chaos from God corrects us, inspects us, directs us. Fourthly, it protects us. Look at Job 36, 16. God has led you away from danger, giving you freedom. Sometimes God uses pain to actually protect us from something. Do you remember the story of Joseph? He, God gave him a vision that he was going to be a great leader. And after God gave him that vision, 
the first 40 years of his life, he experienced one problem after another problem after another problem after another problem. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was falsely accused of rape. He was thrown into prison. The first half of his life was one problem after another problem. But guess what? He was exactly where God wanted him to be. Because in the last half of, it, the, of his life, through various circumstances, he is promoted to the second in command of all of Egypt. A lot of times when problems come into our life, we don't have God's perspective. We just have our very close perspective and we don't see what God's doing until we get through it and we look back and we go, that's why God did that. And that happened to Joseph with his brothers. This is what he said to him. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Now there are people in this world that don't like you because you're a Christian. Christians are persecuted far more than any other religion throughout the world. There are some people that don't like you because you're a Christian, because you're a moral person, because you make ethical decisions and they are out to harm you, but God means it for good. And so sometimes God will allow chaos to come into our life to protect us. This is true, is it not, physically? Uh, we, we get a fever, and fevers are bad, but fever is just a symptom. It, it, it is a symptom helping us to know that we need to check out what is really going on. That is also true emotionally. Sometimes we feel bad because we're discouraged. And we ask God, God, make me feel better. And God doesn't. Why? Because your feelings aren't the problem. The problem is you have ants in your brain. You have automatic, automatic negative thoughts. And your feelings are telling you that you got stinking thinking. That you need to be trusting the Lord. A shepherd of sheep who has a lamb that oftentimes wanders. Do you know what they will do to that, that lamb? They will break its leg. Why? Because they don't want, want it to wander off where something worse could happen, like a wolf devouring them. Now, when the shepherd does that, does the shepherd get joy in doing that? Not at all. But he does it to protect. And so the question you ask yourself when there is chaos or a crisis is how could this problem protect me? What is this problem protecting me possibly from? The fifth reason is to perfect me, is to help me to be like Christ. We just celebrated our 30-year anniversary here. And I have had people throughout these 30 years, tell me that they grew the most in the dark days of their life. And I believe that's true. We don't grow in a vacuum. I think we grow when there's chaos going on. So will you write this down? Pain is the cost of growing up. If you want to grow up and grow your faith, there is no gain without pain. 
Oftentimes we want, to avo- we want the product of spiritual growth, but we don't like the process of getting there. And oftentimes the very thing that discourages us is the very thing that God wants to use to grow us. When you and I learn that, I, t- I guarantee you this, we're gonna thrive. Take a look at 1 Peter 4, 5, 10. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who calls you to share his eternal glory in union with Christ will himself perfect you, circle that, and give you firmness, strength, and a sure foundation. You and I aren't gonna take our character, or you and I aren't gonna take our cars or our cash, but we will take our character into heaven. So right now, Whatever chaos you're going through, whatever crisis you may be experiencing, God wants to use it to inspect you, correct you, direct you, protect you, and perfect you. But what should your response be? To trust him. To trust that God is after your good. Take a look at Romans 5, 3 and 4. We we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they are good for us. They help us learn to be patient, and patience develops strength of character in us and helps us trust, will you circle that word, God more each time we use it. You see, a lot of times we think that our problem is our problem. When in reality, our problem really isn't our problem. Our problem is how we respond to the problem. And God says if we will respond to the problem by trusting him, where we praise him, where we thank God, where we maintain our integrity, while we persevere in doing good and don't give up, just like Daniel, God will promote us. And so you ask the fifth question, how can I grow from this problem? Your problem isn't your problem. Your problem is when you lose perspective that causes you to lose your integrity and your humor and forgiveness towards others. That's when your problem has become your problem. Now this leads to the third thing. Because oftentimes when chaos comes in to our lives, whether it be from culture or whether it be a crisis, the third thing that we must do is that we must trust God for what I don't understand. When you have a problem that doesn't make sense and you can't figure out why it's going on, trust God with the problem, believing that he knows what's best and that he is after your good. Take a look at these couple of closing verses. Proverbs 20, 24. Since the Lord is directing our steps, why try to understand everything that happens along the way? Truly, some things are bigger than us, are they not? God is God, and I'm not. So what do we do? We trust him. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Folks, as your pastor, I don't want you to just survive in this culture of chaos that we're experiencing. I don't want you to just survive 
when a crisis comes, I want you to thrive because I want to see God promote you. Let's pray. Lord, I just really thank you that you are huge. That there's no such thing as a big problem or a little problem with you. There's no such thing as a problem with you, period. That's our perspective. May we see you for who you are, a God who is in control. And may we see who we are as one of your children, whom you love, whom you care about. And may we be those as your children who trust you, God, when life doesn't make sense. And so we give you this, God. Do a mighty work in us as we travel through the book of Daniel. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.